Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from November 6th, 2022. Thank you and God bless. Welcome the visitors, and um, for our visitors, I want you to know you have stepped into a congregation full of grace. And a couple of weeks ago, we demonstrated how much grace we have for each other. So after services, we have some uh, time for coffee, donuts, and chit-chat. And a mistake was made. Too many donuts were brought. And you wouldn't believe how much grace was distributed. And everyone enjoyed donuts. There was smiles and, and happiness. So that's the kind of congregation you have joined this morning. And welcome. And so um, after our services, coffee and donuts. We have Bible classes, so um, if your schedule permits, uh, stay, uh, stay with us for that. I have a scripture reading, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. I'm reading from the NIV. The context is Stephen has been stoned to death, and Saul, soon to be Paul, is persecuting the church and taking Christians, putting them in jail. And um, it's, it's a time of high tension. And this is a story about uh, the apostles doing miracles and a specific individual, Simon the sorcerer, starting in verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, and when they arrived, they prayed for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, 
May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, be with us this morning as we praise your name and thank you for the joy of the good news. Be with those who are leading us in worship and may the Holy Spirit just be filled in them and they can share that with all of us. Be with the visitors that have chosen to join us today. Keep them safe in their travels. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 932. And then, as usual, we'll continue to sing 933. Just one right after the other. This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground. For the
2, 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, so he will teach us his ways, that we may walk in, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for, any, for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can come into your presence this morning. Lord, we are thankful that your spirit has come, that it has infilled this church, that all we have to do is look down the pew next to us to see evidence of that. Lord, we, we are... We are thankful that, that you have come into our presence. Lord, we are mindful of the scripture that we just read. We pray for the day that nations will no longer go to war with, with other nations. Lord, we, we pray for that peace. Lord, we're prayerful this morning uh, for those in our community who are sick. Uh, Lord, those in cancer treatment, Leanne, Brett, Pam and Robert and Jane, Ed, Aiden, and Debbie. Lord, we're, we're mindful of, of the, the good news that we've received in those cases and, and uh, those who are, are still continuing to struggle. Um, Lord, we want to be mindful still uh, of Christy and Chuck and Jackson. Uh, Lord, I, I'm mindful of my friend Karen's family this week on, on her loss. Lord, we're, we're grateful that her death was peaceful and that she was surrounded by, by family and, and everyone that she loved. I just pray that you will be with all of them uh, in, in the days ahead. Lord, we want to lift up a, a special prayer uh, this morning for, for Devin um, and just the the hard time that he's had lately, Lord, we pray for his safety. Uh, we pray for those looking out for him. We pray um, that the decisions that are made in, in this coming week are, are ones that are good for him. Lord, we're mindful of our missionaries this morning. We're mindful of, of Jason and Emily and their family. We're mindful of Lindsay. We're mindful of Manuel Perdomo and Hawathia and Byron and Shnezana. Lord, uh, we are, are just awe-inspired by the work that's being done by them in, in your name um, in all of the places that they are. And I pray that you continue to bless those works. Lord, be with us as we worship this morning. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Number 39. 
Well, good morning, everyone. It's so exciting to see everybody with an extra hour of sleep, right? So many more were on time than normal. It's great. This is a big Sunday for us because it's the first Sunday in November. And this is always the Sunday when we commemorate the beginning of Room in the Inn. Room in the Inn is one of the, one of the things that makes Nashville Nashville. Since the mid-80s, churches have come together and they've gone to the Room in the Inn Center which is only about a mile or so from us near downtown. And churches of all stripes pick up the unhoused, take them back to their building, feed them dinner, give them a place to stay, give them breakfast the next morning, and, and then take them back. And this happens November 1st through March 31st. And our church has long been involved with this. And, but it was a little different during COVID because we would go up there to keep them there, but they're gonna be back in our building this year. And it's so exciting. And so we're going to, as we've often done, we're going to pray over the pillows. I'm going to ask all the kids, so everybody 18 years and down, we're going to come out in the pew and we're going to pray over the pillows. And uh, Paul Spivey, who's one of our members, is the finance director at Room in the Inn. Clay Jones just took a job as facilities director there. We're so excited about that. And Brad is our deacon of Room in the Inn. He's been sending out sign-up sheets, as you know. So Brad's going to come up here and lead a prayer over this ministry. And kids come out in the pews, and we're going to lay hands on these pillows. And these will be the pillows where the unhoused will lay their heads this year. Scripture says, some have entertained angels while offering hospitality. And that's what we pray and expect this year. So kids come out to the center. us with an opportunity to serve and to serve those around in our community. I pray that our hearts, our minds, and our spirits are willing. I pray that our efforts will be grace and mercy and love to those who need it. And Lord, I'd be amiss if I knew or if I didn't know that you weren't going to mend our hearts as well. So I pray, Lord, through the service that, that we are attempting to do, that you will bless us, bless this building, bless those individuals who come in here, that your spirit will be felt, that you will mend, you will heal, you will bring hope, you will help us share love. Thank you, Lord. We pray this all in your name. Amen.
Also, before we begin the message, um, as we all know, there's an election coming up this Tuesday, and we know that because I've been getting so much mail and so many text messages, and I know we respond to elections in so many different ways, but one of the ways, one of the postures I have is it just all feels so noisy, right? So tomorrow, uh, the elders have requested everyone consider to pray and fast in some way um, for the nation, uh, for peace, for unity, and that God's will would be done. So I'm going to come up here and open up the building from noon to one tomorrow and just be in the space and just enjoy the fact that this space is not noisy like the world. I'll read some scriptures and say some prayers, and it will be open mic for any, anybody that wants to come. And if it's just me, that's fine. I will enjoy the space. But if anybody who works nearby and wants to come by at their lunch hour, feel free to join me. Just be in this space tomorrow from noon to one and just um, appreciate the fact that, that God is on the throne uh, regardless. Let's begin our message now. Grab a bulletin and we'll be reading uh, the gospel reading here in just a minute. This is our third week uh, in a series leading up to the start of Advent. We're talking about the countercultural nature of the Christian witness and that to be disciples of Jesus... We have to be accustomed to the fact that sometimes we are going to be weird or peculiar when it comes to the ways of the world. It's important that we remind ourselves to not be ashamed of the gospel and to not be ashamed of Jesus. Too often, people have been embarrassed by Jesus and embarrassed by Jesus' teaching. And the most pronounced example of that in Scripture is when Peter, at the cross, was afraid to even admit that he knew Jesus, and he denied him three times. And yet there's a temptation for us in this world to want to be culturally acceptable and to be embarrassed about Jesus or his teachings. So two weeks ago we talked about the nature and identity of Jesus and how we are not embarrassed by who Jesus is. And then we begin looking at three weeks where we are not embarrassed by Jesus' teaching on money, sex, or power. We've been going through a book called The Challenge of the Disciplined Life, Christian Reflections on Money, Sex, and Power by the Quaker Richard Foster. Last week we talked about money, and I wanted to change the order just a little bit, talk about power this morning before talking about sexuality next week. And I'll begin with this story. In the 1930s, Churches of Christ were overwhelmingly pacifist. They believed that Jesus calls us to nonviolence based on his teachings and based on the witness of the early church. The early church was overwhelmingly pacifist and refused to take up arms or join the military until the time um, of, of Constantine, when, when Christian kind of became, they became in charge and they're like, well, now, now we're in charge. Do we defend it or not? And there was kind of a shift in some of the thinking. And Augustine was, was part of that in history. But fast forward, the Churches of Christ for years and years were overwhelmingly pacifist. The, probably the most famous Church of Christ figure uh, in these parts was David Lipscomb. There's a school named for him nearby. And he was very much against military service. During the time of the Civil War, he was outspoken against slavery, but he was also outspoken against being in the military and grieved the loss of life that happened because of slavery, but also because of the Civil War. Throughout the time of World War I, 
The Gospel Advocate, which was a periodical associated with Churches of Christ, would print off conscientious objector forms in the back of the Gospel Advocate. So you could sign it up uh, and, and not have to participate because of being a conscientious objector. But then it got into the 30s, and World War II loomed because of the historic rise of Germany and Nazism in those times. They invaded Poland. And then we had Pearl Harbor, and there was just too much pressure on Churches of Christ to hold that position. Some of that was concerns over friends and neighbors in Europe and what was happening to them. But some was Church of Christ business leaders were shut out of the halls of power because people in Churches of Christ were not trusted. Because you were not seen as sufficiently patriotic if you were a pacifist. So many significant business leaders in Churches of Christ went to their preachers and went to other leaders. Some of these were elders of congregations and said, we're losing too much cultural power with this position. Now already Churches of Christ were thought weird for a variety of things that were still thought weird of, right? Um, but it was just too much. So they changed their position, and the gospel advocate went from printing out conscientious objector forms in the back to encouraging people uh, to join military service for service of God and country. Now, no doubt in a room this large, we have people that are pacifists and also people that are just war theorists. I just this morning want us all to think, meditate on the scriptures, and consider the seduction of power. How do we think about power? Power, power is about control. It's about influence. It often is derived from our skills or our posture. Um, in my family, because I'm older than my children and because I'm their father, uh, I have a type of power over them. Um, it's, it's my position in that household. In other settings, it might be because of my skill. But it's the power is the idea of influence or control. And as we're going to talk about, power in and of itself is not bad. Power can be used for good. And power can also be used for evil. Let's consider the use of power in the scriptures. And I'll be quoting some um, from the Foster book. But the story of power in the Bible begins in the early chapters of Genesis with Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. As Foster says uh, in his book, power can destroy or create. The sin of the garden was the sin of power. The sin of power is the yearning to be more than we are created to be. We want to be God. And what we saw in the scriptures is that when Adam and Eve seek to be God and they want to have the power and they rebel against God's power, that the wheels immediately fall off everything that's going on. And their own son kills one of their other sons. Why? Power. It's why the Old Testament is so violent. It's why there's so much chaos in the Old Testament. It's why the Egyptians enslaved the Hebrews for over 400 years because they were afraid that they were growing too numerous. 
They were afraid of these immigrants that are going to take over. And they wanted to have power over them, and they enslaved them. The Hebrews themselves were later not immune from this. When if you read the book of Judges in the Bible, it sounds like some type of medieval warlord narrative. But you have all of these tribes and people groups going against one another, and it's very chaotic, and it's very violent. And yet, through the prophets, God will say, power was not meant to be used this way. As Ellie read this morning, the prophet Isaiah said, Someday, weapons will be useless. People will be like, why do we have weapons? What good is a weapon? I wonder if I could turn this sword into a pruning hook. I wonder if I could turn this weapon into a farm tool. That time is coming. And when Jesus came, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. Meaning, I am that prophecy from Isaiah in the flesh. Jesus taught us that true power was laying down our lives for others. When his disciples would argue who among you is the greatest, Jesus would talk about, no, 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 no. The first will be last and the last will be first. That's how we think of power. Like you completely lost it. That's not what we think of power. And Jesus taught people to turn the other cheek and to love their neighbor as themselves and even their enemy. Later on in the book of Acts, and Aaron read that this morning, people try to buy the power of God so they can lord it over other people. And they're like, no, no, this is not what this is about. And as we will close out in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says, don't look at power the way the world looks at power. Don't think you're powerful if you have weapons. Our weapons are very different. And we're fighting a different enemy. It's not a physical enemy. It's a spiritual enemy. There are enemies. But our enemies not each other. This is the biblical teaching on power. And before we make application, let's stand together for the gospel reading. If you would, stand with me and open up your bulletin. This is Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus talks about enemies. If you want to join with me in the bold section, feel free. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Together, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. In Foster's book, he talks about that there is some power that is destructive and there is some power that is creative. We need to use wise discernment so that we can open ourselves up to power that is creative and not destructive and use that power for ministry and ultimately use that power to serve others. 
friends, you all have power. You all have a type of power in your life. May we resist the seduction of power to lord it over others and exert our dominion over others. May we instead use the gift of power to lay our lives down for other people. In our world, power is often so carnal. As we talked about last week, when Jesus talks about mammon, you cannot serve both God and mammon. There was this sense that there were carnal forces beneath money and that money could capture someone's heart. And that suddenly something could be going on that was very evil. I reference the Lord of the Rings and the story of Gollum, who will talk about my precious. And you're like, what's happened to him that he's been so corrupted and he's been so changed by greed? We have seen so many friends of ours, right? Where you're like, it's almost like, it's almost like once they got money, they're a different person, right? And that is the corrupting power of that. And when we think about power and specifically the lure of violence, it can be the same way. So how can we resist? We have to renounce power and to renounce all things. Foster says this in his book. We defeat the powers by an inner renunciation of all things. In a posture of total renunciation, we have nothing to lose. The powers have no control over us. And notice how he uses the word powers. It's a phrase that comes up in Ephesians 6. It's talking about the forces of evil that are lurking behind these things that can lead us astray. Right? Once again, money does not have to be bad, but if we don't keep it on a leash, we talked about that last week, it can go astray. And power is the same way. We can use our power for great good, but also there can be an evil temptation from the idea of the powers and the principalities and the forces of evil where it can become quite carnal. Foster continues, suppose the powers take our goods and possessions. No matter, our possessions are only on loan from God. Protecting them is more his business than it is ours. Suppose the powers seek to destroy our influence by defaming our reputation. No matter, our reputation is not ours to protect, and we could not do it even if we wanted to. Suppose the powers throw at us the fear of death itself. No matter, we belong to the one who can lead us through death's dark pathway into greater life. So you see, we simply have nothing to lose. We are positionless and possessionless, and this complete and total vulnerability is our greatest strength. You cannot take something from someone who has nothing. When Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you will lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. When Jesus gives up everything and follow me, he knows that you can only be truly free when you are willing to give up all things. That is what will enable us to resist the powers and the forces of this world and say, I refuse to be intimidated. I do not have to be like the world. I'm not embarrassed by the teachings of Jesus. In my remaining time, I want to offer some words of discernment and wisdom. And I want to be very careful here. This is a sensitive and difficult topic when we're talking about violence and nonviolence and war. We have Veterans Day coming up this week. Many of you have friends and family members that have served in the military, just like me, and I hold them in great respect. I don't want to offer us up hard and fast legalistic rules, but offer some things of discernment. 
I think we need to be really careful about the way violence is used in our media and television. When I hang out with people from other countries and other parts of the world, they're often very interested in the fact that so many people in America identify as Christians, and yet the media that we export all around the world is so violent. Like you have a religious teacher that said, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword, and yet you've exported your swords all over the world. They say, what's going on there? And I normally tell them at least three different things are going on there. One, it's woven into our origin story that we need weapons to be powerful. Stories of Minutemen and Patriots. It's woven into our origin story that someone could take us over if we don't have weapons. Second, we continually romanticize the idea of the cowboy. And we continually read books and watch movies about cowboys, and that's so deep into the American psyche. And then third, we're still heavily influenced by World War II. And I admit, America did a lot of great good in World War II, liberated a lot of people. But we've too often tried to apply the paradigm that existed around World War II to other wars in ways that, in my humble opinion, were unwise. We need to think about how pervasive violence is in our television shows. Just watching the mainstream things that are on television, people are dying constantly in our media. And what it does, we live in a world now where most people never see someone physically die. Whereas our ancestors were used to having death around them. They were used to having funerals at home. They were used to burying people on their own land and they were around death a lot more. Now it's the complete opposite. Most people have actually never seen a real person die, but they've seen thousands of people fake die on television. And this leads to a very perverse way about thinking of life and death in a way that can be unwise. Ways that I've noticed where suddenly I thought I was doing something very innocuous and suddenly I felt like something borderline demonic was going on. But once again, I'm gonna step on a bunch of toes when I say this. But I was a youth minister for 10 years, and there were two things I refused to do as a youth minister. One, I refused to take teenagers to haunted houses. And there were times that I know that can be a lot of fun, and I went to haunted houses when I was a kid. But there were also times when I was at a haunted house, and there were things in the haunted house that cultivated violence in such a way that I felt a dark spirit in that place. I'm not trying to put that on you. I know some of you, your favorite thing to do is to go into a haunted house, and I'm not trying to judge you this morning. I just want us to use discernment about that. And secondly, I never took teenagers to play paintball. I did that one time, and it awakened a spirit. When I looked out, and all these teenagers at my church were in camouflage, and they had separated into battalions, and they were all trying to kill each other with paintballs. And... It was as if we had awakened the spirit of the demonic in that fights broke out, people were yelling at each other, people didn't talk to each other for weeks, and it was weird. I've taken people to play laser tag, and that never happened. But something about paintball, it was so real, and it awakened something in them, that I'm like, we are playing with forces that we don't understand when we do this. We need to be very careful about the bravado of gun culture in our world. And I know some of us hunt, 
I know some of us have guns that are family heirlooms. I know some of you like to take target practice. But there is a bravado about gun culture in our country that is perverse. Frequently, I think if Jesus came to Nashville to buckle the Bible belt, what would he find odd? And I have many things on the list. But do you know what is near the top? Church night at the shooting range is near the top of what Jesus would find very odd if he came back at this time. I want us to exercise discernment about this and how we think about guns. Now, to be clear, when I do this at school and we do an ethics class, I say, here are the two greatest questions that keep me up at night. If I'm called to love my enemy, how can I kill them? Second question, if I'm called to love my neighbor, how can I just stand by and let my enemy kill them? <laughs> Do you notice that? If I love my enemy, how can I kill them? But if I love my neighbor, how can I just stand by and let my enemies kill them? And this has caused me to do a lot, of, a lot of thought, and I may not be thinking appropriately, and some may even want to correct me on this, but... What made me think about this the most was when a minister six or seven years ago was shot at church. And I began to think, do I need to start carrying a gun when I preach? Many ministers carry a concealed firearm when they preach all over the country and all over the world. And for me, it just felt really weird to talk about someone who said, he who lives the sword dies by the sword and to turn the other cheek while I carried a gun. But then again, I see these atrocious things on the news and I think, what am I to do? So I prayed and I talked to a lot of people I trust and I made the decision that I frequently carry pepper spray, a non-lethal form of force, but I refuse to carry a gun and I do not own any guns. I would like to think that if there was a tragic situation, I could jump on top of somebody, I could get in the way, I could use pepper spray or something, but I've chosen not to have guns. Some of you have guns, and some of you may even have a gun right now. I don't know, and I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just trying to say, may we have discernment about these things. I grew up thinking war was really cool. I could show you a picture of my sixth grade birthday party where me and all my buddies were dressed up in camo and we all had pretend guns and we all went out in the woods and we played army for hours and we had a blast. And I remember one day, one Sunday morning when I was bragging to my friends about some movie I'd watched the night before that was some type of R-rated violent movie. I think it was Oliver Stone's Platoon um, uh, with William Defoe and Charlie Sheen. I think I was talking about this and my youth minister overheard me talking about how cool war was. So the next Sunday, I show up for Sunday school after worship, and he has a Vietnam veteran do class. And say, war is not cool. And he talked to us about the nightmares that he still had from his time in Vietnam. And said, teenagers, you're going to have to discern this. You may serve, you may choose to serve in the military someday, you may choose not to serve in the military, you may need to respect the person that makes various choices, but whatever you do, do not think this is cool, because it's not cool. 
and that forever changed my life and how I think about this. Also, we need to think about the way power is used in relationships. And this may seem very different, but I think it's very connected. The prevalence of abuse in our world is connected to the idea of violence. And abuse is all about power. I remember a few years ago, the elders and I were trying to understand the proliferation of abuse accusations in our culture. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, all kinds of abuse. Like, How do we even make sense of this? It's so challenging. And we went and did some training and met with some therapists. And something they told me I'll never forget, they said, if you're trying to understand abuse, look for the power. Follow the power. And the person who has the power or has the power to gain, that's normally where the abuse is located. And I think that's a very powerful thing to reflect on. As we talk about sexuality next week, we'll talk about that more. Because often what lurks behind the evil sexual practices of our day is a thirst for power and conquest and dominion. So briefly, let me say three things to our kids and teenagers. And these are similar to things that people told me when I was young. Be really suspicious of the message that weapons give you power. Be really suspicious of the message that weapons give you power. Frequently when I talk about this, and I have friends in my life that tease me all the time for not having a gun. And I just want you to know, specifically among male culture, there can be this notion that if you're not willing to have a gun in your house to defend your family, then you're not a true man. I think Jesus of Nazareth was a true man, and I'm not intimidated by that type of nonsense. When it comes to masculinity, I think masculinity or femininity means I'm willing to lay down my life for my family. I don't think it has anything to do with whether or not I have weapons. Number two, there is a notion that to be a good citizen, we have to support any war that the politicians bring to us. And for every World War II that can be justified, we could talk for a while about wars that maybe weren't a great idea. At some point that goes beyond my pay grade. But resist the notion that you have to support any war that politicians ever bring down the pike in order to be patriotic. I love this country. I do not support every type of violent action that government leaders tell us is a good idea. And third, around us, we need to be vigilant about signs of abuse and signs of misappropriate uses of power. When we see these tragedies often happen in our culture, what we often see is the image of somebody that looks just like me at 18 or 19, feeling powerless and trying to figure out how I could feel powerful. And be on the lookout for people that feel powerless and are trying to find some type of way to feel powerful. And put your arm around them, go eat lunch with them, spend some time for them, and be vigilant. Because if left unchecked, those situations end up on the news. I'll close with these thoughts from Foster near the end of his section on this. We all exercise power over others. We are all affected by the power others exercise over us. We can choose the destructive power that is used to dominate and manipulate, or we can choose the creative power that is used to lead and liberate. It is only through the grace of God that we are able to take something as dangerous as power 
and make it creative and life-giving. May we follow the example of Jesus and understand that true power is to lay our lives down for others and to trust the resurrection is coming. Let us stand together and sing.
I'll be reading from John chapter 6, beginning in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have seen me and still do not believe. Everyone whom the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never send away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Now this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose one person of everyone he has given me, but raise them all up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, for everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. this covenant that we celebrate this morning for the reminder that it is of your blessings the blessings we have through your son the bread of life our brother Jesus Christ it's in his name we pray amen
Father, in the same way, we're thankful for this fruit of the vine, which to us represents the blood of Jesus given on the cross of Calvary for the remission of our sins. We pray that each one of us who participates in this reminder this morning will do so in a way that's pleasing to you and that will encourage us throughout the week until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One hundred nineteen. One hundred nineteen. Days dying in the west, heaven is touching earth with rest. Wait and worship while.
our final reading today will be from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will speak fearlessly and make known so, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Now let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this beautiful day that you have blessed us with. And thank you for this opportunity to gather here today to learn from your word. We pray that you be, will be with us and guide us in the coming days. Help us remember never to glorify power, control, and violence, but rather to value selflessness, humility, and empathy. Help us give compassion to those who need it most and show your boundless love to everyone around us. But most of all, we pray that you'll help us to always strive to follow Christ's example, not just one day of the week, but every day. In his name we pray, amen. Well, good morning again. Happy birthday this week to Linda Woods, who has a birthday, what is that, Wednesday? Happy birthday to you, and happy birthday this week to Austin as well, who was here, but must be out with Judah. So, happy birthday, everyone who is celebrating a birthday. Um, we want to extend thanks to the Delonies. Do I see them this morning? I don't. Uh, but we had a great time out at their place last week uh, for the bonfire. Um, I have heard good things about the ladies' retreat this weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing about that, so thank you to everyone who put that on. Um, just a, another reminder to say, um, hey, do think about taking some time to pray and fast. Uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, when it's convenient for you. Like I say, uh, or like JP said this morning, we'll be opening up the building tomorrow, but whether you can take an advantage of that time or not, we do encourage you to take some time to pray and fast this week. Um, we will be gathering this week, uh, Wednesday, uh, in the Conway's driveway and yard for dinner, fellowship, Nine Square. Um, if those things bring you joy, then we would love to see you there for what I think should be a warm week this week. Um, on the calendar, uh, a last call for serving at Jill's house uh, in the beginning of December. Uh, we've got some details there in the bulletin. Let JP know, or Paul know, if you would like to go on that. 
Um, likewise, sign-up lists are going around for room in the inn. Uh, see Brad Knapp for details there. Um, and then finally, this week, uh, I saw Sarah back there, I think. Uh, at TPAC this week, what is that? What day is the 10th? Thursday? Um, Sarah Edwards and the group that she works with there at Friends Life, uh, they are performing a perfect day. I think tickets are available. Um, and so if you would like to go see that and support that work, I know uh, it will bring joy. Anything I missed, church family? Yes. So Sheila Deloney will be sending a survey via the Google app Acklin group regarding um, teaching the pre-K through you know, first grade and first grade through fourth grade classes. It's just general questions. So if anyone would like to uh, do that survey, that'd be great. She'll also bring hard copies of the questions next week for people who are technology of like me. So. Okay. Awesome. So be looking forward to that. Other announcements, things that I missed. Okay. Well, we have coffee and do Oh, I have one more thing. Hold on. There's a false start. Um, so just a reminder, um, we are trying to create some space and time for fellowship. Um, while also recognizing the importance of education for all the kids that we have here. So, uh, we have a space set aside off of the kitchen where you are welcome to gather, grab coffee, donuts, fellowship, what have you. If you choose to use that space down there, man, enjoy it. Just be cognizant of your volume level um, because we do have a lot of kids in class down there. And um, concrete is not a great insulator of sound. Um, and so be cognizant of that, but enjoy that space. Also, we are starting class a little bit later upstairs. We have coffee and donuts in the back here. So feel free to grab some coffee, uh, share a donut with someone, um, and enjoy that time for fellowship. Now you are dismissed. Coffee. <laughs>